One thing I've learned about death and grief is that one can expect tears. Tears don't always come easily to me, but it's usually in moments face-to-face -face with this enemy of death that we experience tears. I would suggest that it's probably inappropriate and maybe even uh, malpractice for anyone to say to the grieving, do not weep. Stop your crying. Unless you're Jesus and you're going to do something about it. That's what we have in the story in Luke 7. Two large crowds collide just on the east side of, of Nain. One is a large crowd following Jesus and his disciples, coming 25 miles, good long day's walk from Capernaum. The other coming from the city of Nain, little town really, but it's a funeral procession with a, a woman, a widow, whose only son has died and is being carried on a stretcher in the midst of that crowd. These two crowds collide and we're reminded of the collision that even occurs in our own lives, that this setting, this setting of a funeral is true for our lives too. That we live in a, a fallen and broken world where death is alive and well and messing with our lives. Many of you know this very deeply and very recently. And it's raw stuff to even think of a funeral and a memorial service. Death is all around us. Death is our enemy. Death is what we all will experience in some way or another. Comes at different times in life, maybe to the unborn, the young child, the youth, the adult of any age. Uh, but death will come. It'll come in different forms, whether it's by a disease or illness, whether it's by natural disaster, just listen to the news, starvation, wars, murders, suicides, even just the aging process. It'll come somehow to each one of us. None of us will get away from it. It's chasing us all down. It's inevitable. It is our, it is our enemy. The Bible describes it that way. Even Jesus approached death with, with sorrow and with trouble. This wasn't something light that he was just facing and finding some fun in it. Now, death is a, is a real, real enemy. And we see this so clearly in the, in the setting. This is sad. And Jesus' heart goes out to this sadness. And so we find this setting of death in a fallen world, but then we find this, this Savior who's come to do something about it. When we read in verse 13 that the Lord saw her, he sees that she's a widow, that her only son is now dead. He realizes how desperate her situation is going to be. She has no one to provide for her. 
and his heart goes out. He has compassion on her. And he says to her, do not weep. I wish we had tone of voice sometimes in these things. I don't think it was a demand. I don't think it was a judgment that she was weeping. Remember that Jesus himself wept at his best friend Lazarus' funeral. At his graveside with his sisters who were all weeping, Jesus wept. I don't think he was being harsh. I, I imagine it very gentle. Do not weep. But then with a little more firmness to the young man, rise. I think Chad did a good job of giving that emphasis. Rise, young man. And I think in those words, we have the confidence of someone who, who's facing death, this enemy, and, and is able to have some power over it. I love the way the physician Luke, if you remember, he, he's observant about these things. He describes the young man, actually describes him as the dead man, sat up. That word sat up is a medical term for recovered. He, he recovered and began to speak. I wanted to ask the text, what did he say? Don't you want to know what, what someone coming back from the dead would have to say? And then I love the phrase Jesus gave him to his mother. We have in, in this a wonderful picture of a, a God who has power over death itself, this great enemy. It didn't happen every day in Jesus' ministry. We know of only three occasions of the dead being raised in Jesus' lifetime. Interestingly, all four Gospels at least mention one of them. And so it's part of the record. The Jesus story includes this. Maybe it's a rare occasion, but he did it. And this gives us confidence that he's still in the business of bringing life out of what's, what's dead. I think Christians have to realize, maybe you've been misled in this, Christians have to realize that we grieve. We grieve as much as everybody else does. There's an added element. It's not less grieving, but it's something added to our grief. Do you know what that is? It's, it's hope. With all our loss and grief, there's an additional element for the Christian, and that's hope. Where is that hope grounded? It's grounded in the power of Jesus over death. That's what we ground it in. We get a glimpse of it here when a young man, a dead man, is brought back to life. We get a little bit more when we realize Jesus was brought back to life. We get even more when we realize he said that he would bring all of us, believing in him, back to life. Jesus has that kind of authority over death itself. That's where we ground our hope. You see, friend, death will not have the final word. Resurrection is the final word. Death may be our last enemy, the Bible calls it that, but we have a lasting friend in Jesus who's the victor over death itself. You see, the only answer, I believe, to a fallen world is a risen Lord. The only answer to death is life through him. And so the Christian comes at the topic of death and grieving with all the tears that everybody else does, but with an added dimension of 
of hope in Jesus Christ. We believe that our experience will be like this young man's experience, that someday Jesus is going to say, rise, and we're going to sit up and speak and be united to our loved ones as this young man was to his mother. Those loved ones whose faith is in Christ will be united with them eternally. And that's the hope of the Christian. And we ground it in stories like these. Jesus has power over death itself. The fallen world does not win. The risen Lord does. What's our response to all this? I think we can follow the response of this story. It says in verse 16 that fear seized all of them. Fear. What kind of fear is this? This isn't the, the fright that causes flight and fight, but rather this is an awe that causes them to glorify God. It's a wonder that causes them to worship the living God who has this kind of authority and power. This is the fear that overtakes them. And then they go on to say, this, this must be a great prophet. Both, both crowds, large crowds colliding east of Nain realized that they had just experienced something very powerful. A great prophet at least. Elijah and Elisha were able, each of them, to raise a dead person in their ministry. We don't see this often, but this must be a great prophet. Even more, they go on to say, God has looked favorably on his people. We might translate that God has visited his people. They were recognizing God's power, not just human power, but God's power in what just happened. And then the word about him spread throughout the whole area. No wonder. It led them to worship God and then to witness to everyone around. Did you hear what happened? Did you hear what Christ can do? And our response to this kind of Christ has to be much the same. That we're called to, to worship God in Christ, in human flesh. To worship him even this morning as we, as we grieve, we still worship. We worship him for, for who he is. This text gives lots of little clues. For the first time, Luke uses the word Lord for Jesus. Um, he is in charge, even over death itself. He's Lord. They call him a great prophet. He is that, more than that, but he is that. Then the reference to God favorably looking or visiting. He certainly is God visiting our earth, our fallen world, and having authority over it. Even in the next story, if you have a chance to read about John the Baptist's doubts in the very next paragraph, he wonders, is this the one who is to come? Is this the Messiah? And the reply from Jesus is, just tell him what you've seen and heard. And among those things, the dead are raised. That's a sign of who Jesus is. And so when we worship God, we, we focus on who he is and, and what he's done to even reveal that identity and what he's done 
is so clearly related to gaining a victory over death itself. That's at the heart of the word that we spread. We worship him and we tell others about this God who's the victor over death itself. You see, we're, we're to respond much the way the people outside of Nain did, this first century world. And we're to respond even though there's still tears in our eyes over losses and griefs, we're to respond with that same mixture of, of wonder, of worship, and of witness. Even while we wait for Jesus Christ to come and put this all back together the way God intended. He didn't intend death in the beginning. It sneaked in through our sin. And someday, Christ is going to come back and put death to death. And when he, when he puts everything back together the way it's supposed to be, he'll wipe the tears from our eyes, and death will be no more. That's why we cry out at the end of the Bible, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and imagine with me just for a couple minutes here. Imagine that you're walking out of town today and you're carrying in your hands uh, a recent grief. They come in all shapes and sizes. Our losses might be related to work or relationship or death itself, loss of a hope, a vision, a dream. Whatever that loss, imagine yourself carrying it out of town today. Not sure exactly what you're going to do with it, but here comes Jesus, and he sees you. He looks you in the eye, and you can tell they're eyes of compassion. And he speaks to you. Imagine what he might say to you. Then he looks down at your, your loss, your grief, and uh, he speaks to it. Imagine what he might say to that very thing you've lost. Jesus, I'm grateful that you love us. You know what it's like to live in this fallen, broken, dying world. And you've come to give us hope. Would you give your people hope this day, even as we trust you and worship you and go from this place to share you with others. Pray it in the name of Christ. Amen.